Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to ABF. So glad you chose to be with us this morning. Hey, this morning I'm uh, just showing up here with a, a full cup. I'm uh, really blessed. And at my, my wedding, uh, which was almost 15 years ago here on Valentine's Day, uh, I, had two, I didn't follow the rules. I had two best men. And it's kind of fun for me because the two best men that I had at my wedding are both sitting right here in the front. One is my friend Doug. Doug, you can wave and say hi to everybody. He's in, uh, in town. He just drove up from San Diego this morning. He lives in Chicago, though. And then my friend Joe, who's going to be sharing from God's Word this morning, is also in town. So it's going to be a fun morning ahead. We're really thrilled, especially right now, to have Joe getting a chance to teach from God's Word. And the thing I can say about Joe is just after knowing him since ninth grade, Doug since eighth grade, uh, just like just just living just living the living the life that he that he's calling people to live which I think is the greatest compliment that you can give somebody. Somebody that's the, the real deal. They, they claim to be following Christ, and you look at their life, and it actually matches. What an awesome thing. And so I'm excited to hear again from God's Word uh, this morning and just invite you guys, as he comes up, you can help me out with giving him a warm welcome. Worship team's awesome here. Uh, you, guys are, you guys are blessed really are. I'm Joe Basil. Uh, I am excited to be here. I'm the lead pastor of Fresno First Baptist Church. Scott Kegel uh, is an amazing man, and I just want to let you know that you guys are blessed. You are blessed to have him as your lead pastor. He's an incredible man. I've had to, I wouldn't be up here right now if it wasn't for him. Sitting in the audience here and seeing Scott and Doug and actually seeing a lot of people from Olive Tree community. It's good to see you guys here as well. Fun and family. It's, it's great. Good night, everybody. That's all I've got. <laughs> Scott's incredible, and, and I've uh, had a chance to observe uh, the process of this church calling him to be the lead pastor and to be able to pray for you guys, and I pray for you. Uh, actually, I, I pray for your church on Thursdays. I love this church, and uh, I had a chance to preach for about five or six years ago. I haven't been invited back since then, so I'll tell you what I did, <laughs> how good it was. Uh, but I had an opportunity of, uh, to come here and, and be able to follow the process. And Scott uh, has been just such an incredible impact in my life that all I could think about is that you guys get him as your pastor. And I just thought, man, you guys are blessed. You guys are blessed. Uh, I remember when we were younger, uh, Scott and I and Doug, we'd go play basketball all over town and in different neighborhoods. And we, we lived in a, a tough neighborhood and, uh, and fighting and arguing and being cocky and all that was kind of part of our existence. And uh, I, uh, Scott and his family led me to the Lord, so I started growing in my faith. Scott went off to college, and he started growing in his faith. So he was raised in a Christian home, but he really started growing when he went to Cedarville. And I remember him coming home. And uh, we go play basketball, and I can never remember. It was Cicero or somewhere. I don't remember where we were at. And we're playing ball there. And uh, this one little skinny dude, uh, Scott was guarding him. He was, just, he was just jawing with Scott the whole time, just all the time, just trying to get under Scott's skin and just keeps talking with him and being cocky. And, and Scott's doing a, a pretty good job just trying to keep his cool and, and not get into with this guy. And uh, they get into a couple more, you know, a little bit of rubbing, you know, making a layup. And this guy sucker punches Scott. Just out of nowhere, just sucker punches him. 
And I remember being like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here? Because in our world, somebody punches you, you get up and you mop the floor with them. And this kid is 30 pounds lighter than Scott. I mean, Scott would have taken this kid apart. And I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember Scott looking and being like, no, that's not who I am anymore. That's not who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm not going to do this. And there are people ridiculing him and, and taunting him. And for him to just stand firm saying, this is not how I'm going to handle myself. And, and for me, as a guy who was trying to grow in his faith, I remember staring at him on the ride home, just in awe of him. And just thinking, I will follow you, man. I will follow you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, I would follow you in a heartbeat. And so I want to let you know, you guys have a godly, godly leader who lives out his faith. Uh, everything you're hearing on the stage, it's because he's living it in his life. So congratulations to you. I have uh, one more Scott story. Yes, this is going to be a Scott love fest. <laughs> Scott rapped at my uh, wedding for his toast, so I have some leeway. I get a little, you know, I'll tell some stories here. Uh, there's one other story. Uh, there was a single mom and a hardworking mom raising two boys and she didn't have a lot of money, but what she could do is she could, she could bake cookies with the best of them. They were amazing. And her family would constantly tell her, these are the best cookies that I've ever had. The best cookies I've ever had. And she's like, oh, stop. You guys know, we're like, no, seriously, you could sell these cookies. These are that good. And uh, she didn't really take it to heart. She just thought family's being nice. But when Scott would say it, she believed it. In fact, Scott didn't just say, Scott's a cookie fiend, by the way, if you guys don't know that. Uh, she, did, she, didn't, she believed him. In fact, uh, on holidays, for his birthday or for Christmas, he would ask for cookies as a gift. And that really spoke to her heart and really encouraged her. It encouraged her so much and believed her so much, and made her believe so much, is that when she had an opportunity to start a cookie business, she did. Those cookies are, if you are nominated for an Oscar, those are in the swag bags today. Uh, it's a very successful celebrity clientele. They have location, two locations in Chicago, one in the very famous and prestigious Water Tower Place on Michigan Avenue. Uh, and Scott's encouragement and support and belief inspired this woman. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna present Scott with his favorite cookies in the whole world. Mm -hmm. The owner and founder uh, is actually here today in the audience. Would you stand up? Joey, Cookies by Joey. She is here today. Don't be that impressed. She's my sister. So it's... <laughs> well, Scott asked me to come and talk about Month of the Family. And... Uh, so I was excited to do that. Uh, and he said, uh, this week we're talking about marriage. And when he told me that we're talking about marriage, the first thing I thought is that marriage is hard. I love even just looking in people's eyes. If you're here with your spouse, I just, want, I just like seeing your faces. Marriage is hard. Anybody who tells you it's not is lying or trying to sell you something. <laughs> marriage is hard. I thought of this uh, couple they were married for 50 years, and uh, the wife had taken ill, and she was about to go home to be with the Lord, and uh, 
she realized, she remembered uh, that she had one secret that she'd kept from her husband for 50 years. And so while he's there on her bedside, holding her hand and comforting her, she says, honey, could you go into the bedroom and go in the closet and on the top shelf, can you grab this box? He says, of course. So he brings back this box. And in this box, he brings it back and he takes it out. And there is a crocheted doll and $25,000. And of course, he's curious about what this is. And she said, early on in our marriage, when you would do dumb stuff, I'd get really mad. And so my grandmother gave me a trick. She said, every time your husband does something dumb, go crochet a doll. <laughs> cool off. Chill out. Just crochet one of those dolls. It'll help you just relax. And so the husband thought, we've been married 50 years, and there's only one crocheted doll. I only made her mad once. I only did one dumb thing. So he says, okay, so, so what's with the $25,000? She goes, well, that's all the money I made selling crochet dolls. <laughs> Marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. Uh, I have a, what I call a sticky point. It's a ripoff of Andy Stanley, and for copyright reasons, I had to change it just a little bit. Uh, and my sticky point is basically a point I want to make, and it's going to permeate all of our day. Everything I talk about, all the passage, it's going to keep coming back to this same point. And it's this. Marriage gets better when you get better. Yeah. Marriage gets better when you get better. It was our fifth year of marriage, uh, my wife Lisa and I, and I started uh, my first church in a hometown where I'm from, where I'd never heard about Jesus, and I went back to Chicago in the Lombard area, and I started a church there, and uh, I became consumed with my phone, just consumed with it. It was the first church, I had zero boundaries, I felt like people need me. And in the beginning, my wife was like, yes, they need you. This is very supportive. Almost everybody that attended our church had come to faith at our church. I mean, it was just most people would cut their teeth there. They didn't know anything about God. So that every need they had, they'd call me, and I took every call. I was at every, every situation. I took care of everything. And day after day, it started taking a toll on my marriage, a big toll. But we didn't know it. We didn't know what was going on. It eventually came to the point where it was the worst year of marriage of our life. In fact, for the first time in my life, I wondered why I ever got married, why I married this woman. Those are real questions in my mind. We couldn't resolve it. Every discussion led to a fight. Every moment of tenderness still had an undergirding of anger. There was nothing we could do to figure it out, and we both tried. I remember going and praying and talking to the Lord about it, and it's like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm, I don't know what to do with our marriage. I don't know how to move forward. What do you want me to do? I said, Lord, tell me. And I remember hearing very clearly, the Lord said to me is, you're the problem. It's you, Joe. You have taken something beautiful like the church and you put it in the wrong position in your life. You put it above your wife. You put it above your kids. You would teach all the time, Joe, God, spouse, children, and then for me would be ministry. You've put it, your priorities wrong, and you are hurting your family. 
I remember hearing that. It's like, you're right, Lord. There is absolute truth in what you're saying. I remember going home, coming to Lisa, and telling her, I know what's wrong with our marriage. I said, it's me. I'm sorry. I have not been the husband nor father that you needed. I'm sorry. And she cried. Like the words were just the words she'd been waiting to hear all year. And she fell into my arms and we wept. We knew exactly that's what was wrong. And so I started to change. Change my ways. And someone turned his phone off. When I get home at five o'clock, this is done. This is done. You know what? If somebody dies, they'll still be dead tomorrow. And I can see them then. It's fine. <laughs> can wait. Very few things can't wait. So I'm done. I'm going to be home. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be here. And I put my phone away. And I remember her giving me some advice. She said, Joe, there's going to be situations you're going to come into where multiple people want you and are pulling at you. And the reality is you're going to have to disappoint someone. You just have a group of people that all want you, but only one group's going to get you. You're going to have to disappoint someone. And if you're going to disappoint someone, just don't always make it me and your kids. I was like, wow. And so I changed. I did. Uh, I was true to my word. And guess what? As I got better, my marriage got better. Marriage gets better when you get better. I know you want it to be about your spouse. I know you're hoping this message and you can start pointing at them saying, see, if you do these different things, things will be better. It's about you. It's about you. Marriage gets better when you get better and take ownership in this relationship and let God do all the things he wants to do in you and through you. Marriage gets better when you get better. Uh, I want to ask you guys a couple questions here. Uh, It's kind of been something I've done for the last six years, starting with our church, Olive Tree, is I like to ask you a couple questions and have you text your response. And there's a reason behind it. It's not just um, cool or fun, although it's both of those things as well. Uh, The reality is I just want you to think about who you are and what you believe. There's something powerful to kind of stating your beliefs prior to learning some truth. Because then you could realize, wow, actually, this is, I said this is what I believed in. This is actually different than what God is teaching me. And you can actually really grow from that. And so I'm going to ask you a couple questions. You're going to text your response. Uh, I'm going to try and move out of the way here and read these questions for you. Uh, It's joe at fresnofirst.com. You can text me there. And yes, your phone will do that. Uh, Let me read these questions for you. What areas of your life needs the most improvement? Humility, purity, diligence, generosity, love, other. Don't write other. That's an opportunity for you to fill something else in. (laughs) How would your relationships or your marriage be different if you got better in one or all these areas? So kind of a cause and effect. Think about what's going on in your life and then think, how would this impact my marriage? Or you can do something different. You can either answer one or both of those questions or you can ask me a question. You can say, really, those aren't speaking into my life. I'd like to ask you a question. And you can ask me a question uh, that's related to the topic, something like, how do I improve my attitude in my marriage? We're going to leave this up here for a minute. If you're going to ask me a question, uh, you know, this isn't the time or place to ask me or to get a great Chicago-style hot dog in Thousand Oaks. This isn't that place for that. Because it's Dane's over on T.O. It's really good. Go there. Uh, so just ask me a question related to today's topic. Uh, so that will be up there. You guys can text your responses. I want to encourage you, even if you don't have a cell phone, why? 
think about that one too, but uh, if you don't have a cell phone, uh, you can write it on a piece of paper, just answer it, whatever it is. If you, can, if you want to write it, put it in your sermon notes, answer the question, or you can text me, uh, whatever you want to do. But just think about who you are and what you believe. Uh, I want to give you a little context today here. We're going to go into Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 through 20, and you can come to that after you're done writing your questions. I'm going to give you some a uh, little history here first anyway, so you have some time. Uh, Ephesians is a book that is surrounded by a lot of controversy. Uh, in fact, one of the things that uh, people disagree about is who wrote it, whether or not the Apostle Paul the, wrote the book of Ephesians. I actually think there's very little evidence to ever believe it's not the Apostle Paul, and I think it absolutely is, but it is something people talk about. People also uh, wonder if the epistle or letter written to the church at Ephesus was really written to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says to the church at Ephesus, but the earliest manuscripts actually don't have that. The other thing going on in Ephesians is that the language is impersonal. Often with Paul's writings to the churches, he, he would address people personally and by name, had a very personal feel. This feels very impersonal. And so it leads us to believe that this might have been a circular letter, which means it circulated throughout the different churches, including the church at Ephesus, uh, and it would go along to them. So it'd be more along the lines of Colossians or even Philemon, kind of written in that vein. So uh, then specifically in Ephesians, chapter 5 is also clouded with controversy. In chapter 5, verses 21 and following, it talks about rules of the household or household conduct. And it deals with husbands and wives, slaves and masters, and uses words like submit. So those topics, especially even early on where people were dealing with what's it mean to be a believer and do we have slaves or masters, and then marriage forever. Who submits to who? How does this all work? It's very controversial. Lots of books written. Lots of discussion about that. I don't want to actually talk about the controversial stuff about marriage. I'm interested in the stuff, verses 1 through 20, leading up to that. See, those specifically deal with instructions in marriage. I'm interested in the stuff where he talks to everybody, whether you're married or not. Uh, and the idea was, when I was looking at this passage, and I'm talking about marriage, I'm going through this passage and I'm looking at, the reality is, is that if every person lived these out, verses 1 through 18, your marriage would be amazing. This is where the sticky uh, point comes from. Marriage gets better when you get better. And all I thought is if we follow Paul's instructions and all of you grow, your marriage will grow with you, 100%. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Ephesians here. I'm going to bring it up. 5, verses 1. It says, Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The new NIV, uh, the most recent translation, I, I get what they're doing. You guys use ESV here, the English Standard Version. Uh, so the New International Version has a recent translation from the old translation from 1984 till now. And I understand what they're going for. They want people to be able to pick up the Bible and understand it if they've never been in church before. 
So they're trying to unpack it, kind of remove the pastoral role where your pastor needs to explain what's going on there. So you want to be able to just pick it up and read it and get it. And so they'll make some choices in the way they translate it to make it easier for people who maybe have never been to church. I'm not against that. That being said, when they translate this passage, follow God's example, they completely blow it. That, that, is, that is not a good translation of the word there. The word there is mimetis, or, and it even comes from mimos, whereas where we get the word mimic or imitate. Yes, there is some implication here that uh, we are to follow God, but really what it's saying is be imitators of God, that we are to imitate him. And then it gives you some context. If you hear those words, if you hear imitate God, your mind should automatically go to the place of how can man imitate God? That's impossible. You, you should say, all right, imitate God. Well, how does finite imitate the infinite? You just think that's, that's crazy. It can't happen. That's what you should think and feel. But the reality is, he gives us some context to understand it. He says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. I like to say that I, am, uh, I like to use familial theology. And what I mean by that is that God could have described himself to the world in any way imaginable. Could have been general or, or uh, you know, supreme commander, but he chooses the word father. And what he's saying is that I want to relate to you in a context you can understand. He uses words like father. He has a son. He calls us sons and daughters. He says that we are to call each other brothers and sister. There's a family dynamic so that you can easily understand and connect with God. And so he uses this word, father. And whether you know your mother and father or not, the reality is you had a mother and father. We live and operate inside the context of family. Every single thing you do, no matter what your occupation, no matter where you're from, you've had a mother and father. You understand the concept of family. So he says, imitate God, who is your father, as dearly loved children. And the idea here is, is that if you've trusted in Jesus as your savior, you have become a son or daughter of God and you can imitate God. It is possible because you have the same spiritual DNA. You have the same spiritual DNA. This is about identity. When I broke down this passage to teach it through, I broke it into four sections. And the first section is about identity, understanding your identity. Then it went down to purity. Then it went to light. And then it goes to spirit. And it breaks down into these four categories that we need to walk through. But the first one is identity. Who are you? Who are you? You are a son or daughter of God. Going to a Baptist church uh, and being part of planting Baptist churches, common thing you'll hear somebody say, you'll even see bumper stickers, that I am a sinner saved by grace. That is a description of a process, not a description of who you are. You were a sinner, grace came along and saved you. And when grace saves you, you become a son, you become a daughter, you become a saint, you become the elect, you become a holy nation, you become a royal priesthood. But the word sinner is never again associated with you. Never, never again in all the Bible. Your identity are sons and daughters of God. And God is your father. And he's saying, imitate me, imitate me, it's possible. You can do this. You're my children. In fact, I was doing some uh, research about it, and Dr. Cohen, a, a leading psychologist, talked about uh, early stages of development. And one of the first, the first learning stage for children is imitation. 
You ever seen a two-year-old walk around and pick up a shoe and put it through their ear and talk to it because they've seen mom or dad talk on the phone? You ever see a kid like grab something, pretend to mow the lawn or, or maybe run the vacuum cleaner? Imitation is the first way children learn. And then it goes to adaption. So they imitate, then they adapt and how they can put it into their life. This is the same with you and God. He's saying, imitate me. Imitate me. See what I do. Be like me. You can. You're my children. It's possible. Well, that's cool for him to say that. And we should ask ourselves, well, if he wants me to imitate him, what does he want me to imitate? Well, Paul doesn't leave that a mystery. He settles that pretty quickly. He says, it says in here, walk in the way of love or another translation, live a life of love. How do you imitate God as a son or daughter? You live a life of love. Then he talks about the kind of love that his son, Jesus, so we're adopted sons or daughters. And so then his son, he lived a life of love and he gave himself up as a fragrant offering. He lived a life of sacrificial love. So he says, imitate me. How? Live a life of love. What kind of love? Follow the example I gave you, my son. Sacrificial love. And so you should ask yourself, would my relationships be any different if I loved with sacrificial love? So let's start with your life. Would my relationship with my boss or my employees or my coworkers be any different if I loved them with sacrificial love? Think about this. How many bosses go into their job thinking, I'm going to sacrifice my wants and desires and all that I want for my employee? Just think about if your boss did that. Think about if your employee did that. You got all the money. You're the one in control. And constantly your employee is sacrificing for you. Would your life be different? Would your relationships at work be different if you loved them sacrificially? Would your relationship with your friends be different? What if you went in with your friends and made it all about them? You tell me what's going on with you. Can I get you something to drink? Can I serve you? I want to love you. Tell me about you. I don't want to talk. Tell me about you. I want to know about you. I want to care about you. I want to put your needs above mine. Would your relationships with your friends be different? If you loved them with sacrificial love? Yes. Would your relationship with your parents or your siblings be different? Imagine going into family gatherings. You go home and you travel back on vacation and you come in there and you don't go in to talk. You go in to listen. You go into care. Say, I want to make it about you. Would your relationship with your parents or your siblings be different? You say, tell me about you, mom and dad. Tell me about you, brother or sister. How can I love you? How can I be here for you? If you love them with sacrificial love, would it be different? Yes. Would your relationship with your son or daughter be different? If you love them with sacrificial love. He said, it's about you. When you walk into that dynamic, you're trying to think of how can I love this person even above my own needs? Would your relationship with your husband or wife be different if you loved them with sacrificial love? If you went into your marriage saying, it's about you. I want to make this journey about you. I want to love you. Can you imagine even two of you doing that together? Both in harmony, sacrificing for the other. Would your marriage be different? Yes. Yes, it would. There were two boys. They were brothers. They lived in Michigan. And they loved to play on the sand dunes. They loved it. Loved playing on the sand dunes. And uh, one day, the two brothers got up and said, let's go, let's go play on some sand dunes. And they saw one, huge, a huge sand dune. 
And they said, let's conquer this. Let's take this hill. And so they said, yeah. And the two brothers charged up this sand dune hill. They didn't realize that the sand dune wasn't very stable. And as they charged the hill, the sand dune collapsed on them. Hours had went by. And mom and dad decided to call the police and get a search party and go looking for their two sons. As they looked and they searched, they came across their younger son and he was buried in the sand up to his waist. And when they arrived there, the son woke up and mom said, thank God. Thank God you're okay. Where's your brother? And he said, I'm standing on his shoulders. When the sand dune collapsed, he grabbed me and he thrust me above him. He sacrificed himself to save me. Is this how you're describing your marriage? Is this what you're doing with your spouse? Are you grabbing your spouse and thrusting them above you? Sacrificing your wants and desires for them? I promise you, if you love your spouse with sacrificial love, your marriage will get better. Marriage gets better when you get better. Let's see what the next verses say. It said, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. The key words here uh, are uh, for us to, to take a look at improper for God's holy people and out of place. So the section that we're talking about here is about purity, and purity flows out of identity. That, that's, that's where this is coming from. Uh, we, don't, we don't do pure things to be pure. We do pure things because we've been made pure. As a son or daughter, you're not worthy, you've been made worthy. Your identity comes from your Father in heaven. And because you've been made pure, because you've been made worthy, we act in response to who we are. You might say, oh, I'm a servant or I'm a soldier, all these different things for Christ. Those are descriptions of what you do. But the description of who you are is a son or daughter. And no one can ever take that from you. That's very important. No one can ever take that from you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no guilt, no shame. You don't, you don't have to fear anymore. So this purity flows out of identity. The next two pieces that are uh, after that, I said one's light, and I'm not going to get to those. I'm being a realist. I'm looking at the time here. Uh, and one has to do with light and darkness, and the idea there is leadership. The idea there is leadership. So if you grow in leadership, you and your spouse grow in your leadership in the world, the reality is... If your marriage will get better, if you get better in this area of leadership. And the reason I say leadership is because the Bible says the world is dark and you are light. That makes you the leader automatically. You're automatically the leader, so you need to live that out. What's that look like? 
Uh, and then talks about spirit. In that next uh, group of verses down there, it's going to talk about uh, wise and foolish. But ultimately, it talks about spirit and learning how to love in your marriage and live in your marriage, not out of your own strength, uh, but out of the power of the Holy Spirit. That God has put his spirit in you. All the Old Testament tells stories of these miraculous stories of how the spirit of God came upon a person. If you've trusted in Jesus, the spirit of God lives in you lives in you. You have access to a ridiculous source of power to be able to power your marriage and your life. The Holy Spirit is a catalyst for change in you and in the world. So those all flow out of identity. Well, this purity one flows out of your identity as well. Who are you? Think about who you are. And this comes out and it says, says there must not even be a hint. It talks about impurity, immorality. And the key here is it's improper for God's holy people and out of place. And the idea here is that if your identity is you are a son or daughter of God, that doing these things are not germane to who you are. Being impure and, and obscene and coarse joking, they don't match you anymore. That's not who you are. In fact, what ends up happening, if I asked any of you, you say, yeah, I've trusted in Jesus. I'm a son or daughter of God. When you do these things, you feel bad because it doesn't match who you are. It's out of place. That's what Paul's talking about. He says there is a group of people where the wrath of God is coming upon them and, and they're pursuing these things and they're not sons or daughters of God and that actually matches them. When they do obscene and foolish and, and coarse things, that actually matches who they are. That's the group of them. And the, and the wrath of God is coming on them. So that's natural for them. Before you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, before you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, Wickedness was as natural to you as breathing. But now that you've come into this relationship with God, your father who loves you, wickedness is improper and out of place. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for who you are. It doesn't match your identity. And so, in this passage, it talks here about not doing these things because it doesn't match your identity. And I just want you to ponder, to think about this. Think about this in terms of your marriage. So wherever you're at spiritually, so wherever you're at spiritually, you can apply this to your life. I want you to think about it. So I'm starting with identity, but you can apply these instantly. How would your, I'll start with life. How would your life be different if you didn't look at porn anymore? How would your life be different if you stopped looking at porn? How would your life be different if you didn't pursue obscenity? It, it, it's obscene things, it's all of our comedy, all of our movies. And just so you know, I'm not telling you what to watch or not watch. I'm asking you to ponder. I'm asking you to think, weigh, and measure in your own life. What if you didn't pursue obscene things? How would your life be different? How would your life be different if you didn't have foolish talk? That guy cut me off. I'm going to punch him in the face. And, you know, my boss, I'd like to blow up his house. Or I'd like to do these different things or whatever it is. What if he didn't have foolish talk? How would your life be different if you weren't the guy who's known to being spiritual, but you tell the grossest jokes, tell these crude jokes? How would your life be different if you weren't the guy who laughed the hardest or got girl laughed the hardest at those gross jokes? How would your life be different? How would your life be different if you replaced all that with thanksgiving. When you walked in the room, you were known as the most thankful person. You walk in and people say, man, that person, they love their life. They love everything that God has given them. 
Cars, home, family, friends, everything. They're thankful for every bit they have. How would your life be different if you didn't partner with people who did all those terrible things? I'm not saying not be friends with them. I'm saying when you partner with your someone, we are equals. You can, you can judge me by them. What if you stopped partnering with people who did such things? How would your life be different? How would your marriage be different if you took all your sexual energy and all your sexual desires and you directed them at your spouse? How would you think about this? So every bit, just pouring that at your spouse and you guys are doing that together. Don't think too hard about that image. I just want you to get the concept. (laughs) How would your marriage be different if your words were wise? You come to your wife and you talk level-headed and wise and, and filled with the mind of Christ and just saying just wonderful things. How would your marriage be different if your words were pure? If they were pure, you came home around your wife and your kids and, and, and who you were, and you spoke these words of wisdom and purity. How would your marriage be different if you were generous? If you were generous with your time, if you were generous with your affections, if you were generous with your actions, if you were generous with your money. Don't kid yourself. A lot of couples keep money back from each other. What if you were generous? How would your marriage be different? How would your marriage be different if you were filled with thanksgiving for your spouse? But that's, that's how you recognize each other. When you walk in the room, your spouse says, you are such a good father. You're such a great wife. You're such a hard worker. You're such a smart person. I'm so thankful for you. You are so amazing and wonderful. How would your marriage be different? There was a guy uh, at our church. Uh, He came, he saw our church on a TV broadcast up in Fresno. Our, Our services are broadcast on Fox on Sunday mornings. And the guy who had pretty new Christian, he'd been a Christian for a long time, but really hadn't grown his faith, he ends up leading one of his buddies to Christ, and he says, I, I don't know where to bring this guy to church. He saw a preacher on TV with some tattoos, and he says, oh, that, that sounds good. So he shows up there. He's got a big, long mullet and a beard. He's like an oversized Kenny Rogers, and, uh, <laughs> and he looks like he's a homeless guy. Uh, and I get talking with him, and just felt like God was drawing me to pour into this guy. Turns out he owns like five big businesses in town. He's a very successful businessman, just a poor dresser. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so we, we get, get talking and get going, and I just feel called to pour into this guy. I think he's a great leader and has a lot of gifts. And so all I do with this guy is I say, all right, here's what we're going to do is I'm going to do what uh, we call Feed Yourself Discipleship at our church. And it's this idea of that in my mindset, I don't think that people should come to church to hear my stories. I think people should come to church to bring their stories. All that God has done in your life, all that he's speaking to you about, then we come, we bring them together, and we celebrate, and we worship. And then I share mine, and, and it becomes this very community-oriented thing. And so it starts with you feeding yourself daily. People shouldn't rely on Scott and I to try and give you all the spiritual stuff you need for a whole week. It's just, it's not going to work. Uh, although Scott's a great preacher, it's just not going to work. Uh, so... We said, why don't you do this? When you wake up in the morning, we call it first fruits. When you wake up in the morning, feeling like P. Diddy. Sorry, I always have to finish that. When you wake up in the morning, first thing, before you check your email and your cell phone or Facebook or sports center or newspaper, before you do anything else, I want you to pray. 
After you're done praying, it's not t- don't talk to anybody, nothing else, then read God's word. It can be one sentence. And I gave him details on how to do this. It's very experiential. Uh, it's a really cool uh, encounter with God. So he does it. When he does that, here's what ends up happening in his life. So he starts doing that every day, and we met on Friday, and we talk about it. He starts growing like a weed. He actually did it every single way. His life just, he just starts to grow. He says, will you come and do a Bible study at my tank manufacturing company? I said, sure. Almost every guy there that went to the Bible study weren't Christians. 30 guys would show up on a Friday. It's all because of his leadership. He uh, stopped drinking. He was a functional alcoholic every night. The way he came down from uh, busy owning five businesses is he would uh, chew uh, tobacco and he would get drunk. He'd do it every single night. He wouldn't do it out, wouldn't do it anywhere else. He did it in the safety of his home. And we talked about that, and God wanted to speak into that in his life. One night he was drunk, walked out on his 26-acre ranch, said, God, what do you want from me in his drunkenness? And God said to him, stop drinking. He's like, oh. He said he heard it in his heart and his head. Two days later, he said, I'm done. I know it was God. Quit drinking. Cold turkey. Uh, goes into his safe where he carries all this, his money. Goes in and he realizes he had a big stash of porn. He said, God's telling me I'm going to get rid of this porn. Gets rid of all of his porn. Uh, he has a, his wife um, and him need to refinance a building. And they go to refinance this building. And when they go to refinance it, she makes a big mistake and costs them 70 grand out of pocket. And he's pretty upset about it. And he's really letting her have it. And so we have this conversation to remember it. We just start talking about what has God done in your life? What about your grace, your forgiveness? Didn't tell him what to do. Just tell him, remind him what all God's done in his life. Picks up the phone, calls her back and says, I'm sorry. She said he's never done that before in his life. Calls her back and said, you made a mistake. I make mistakes. It's okay. They ended up working out. Their marriage stopped drinking, doing all these other things. His marriage just starts skyrocketing into this incredible, beautiful marriage that they have. And the point I want you to get is that he didn't set out to change his marriage. That was never on his radar. All that happened was, is that God changed him. And a byproduct of that is that it also changed his marriage. Marriage gets better when you get better. I asked you a couple questions. I just want to answer at least one or two of them before I send you on your way. Actually, they're on my iPhone. Uh, Wrong device. So questions were, I'll read those for you. We'll bring those back up. What areas of your life need, uh, need the most improvement? Humility, purity, diligence, generosity, love, other. How would your relationships or your marriage be different if you got better in one or all these areas? Answer, you can either answer one of those questions or you can ask one of your own. So let's see what you guys said. It said... It was a request for someone to get info on the sand dune story. Thank you for asking me about that. Okay, great. <laughs> this one wants the address to Dane's hot dogs. No, I'm just kidding. They don't. It says, hey, uh, <laughs> this is another personal message. That's awesome. I, I'm glad you guys want to talk with me. I will be here after the service. <laughs> we can chat about some of that other stuff as well. Just want to let you know. That's cool too. Uh, all right, that one's a novel. I'm, I'm going to get one of these, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Here we go. Area of most improvement. Love my wife as I love myself. Uh, benefits, unity, serving her. She feels safe and loved. She would respect me more. There would be a better sense of partnership and mutual benefit in our marriage. I love that this person took the next step. They not only answered the question, they applied what this would look like in their life. That's awesome. They did both, both the answers. And I think that's incredible. You are right. You are right. Love your wife as yourself. 
a lot of times we take these very big spiritual concepts and, um, and they're hard to break down. And so even when you say, love my wife as myself, I would encourage you, whoever wrote this, and all of you, write down how you want to be loved. That's the five love languages. Have you ever read that book? All it is, learn how you want to be loved and learn how the people in your life want to be loved. So when the Bible says, love your uh, spouse as yourself, you need to first ask, how do I want to be loved? And then you have to ask them, how do you want to be loved? And then you love them in that way. I'm out of time. Uh, If you're upset that I kept you long, I got $25,000 here I'll share with you. (laughs) Marriage gets better when you get better. Life gets better when you get better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you uh, for this amazing church and for the great leadership here in the incredible congregation. Thanks for a chance to see uh, the wonderful faces uh, from the Olive Tree community people and, and from Agora Bible Fellowship and family and friends and Doug. It's just, just been a huge blessing, God. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that that same love and warmth that I'm feeling in this place, I pray, Lord, you express it into the lives of this congregation. Let these husbands and wives be encouraged today. Let all people here be encouraged as you, their father, want to speak in their life, want to use them to do great things, but also want to do great things in them. And we believe you'll do that. Praise all in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Well, that was a good word for us this morning, wasn't it? What a great reminder of just what, you know what, when you invest in that primary relationship, it ripples into everything else, right? I pray that we do that this week. If there's something we could be praying for you about this morning, we have some leaders available here in the front. Otherwise, pray you have a blessed week in the Lord. God bless you.